Hi, it's Mark. Before we begin our episode today, we just wanted to let all of our listeners know that we are thinking about you during these trying times. We've also had a few questions since the last episode. Tim and I actually pre-recorded these episodes prior to the pandemic, so we are both safe and sound. Thank you all again for listening and for your concern. As more and more record stores are feeling the impact of the current pandemic, show them your love and support by reaching out to them, by ordering from them online, using curbside pickup, or purchasing gift certificates if they are offered. For example, you can buy product through Squeezebox Books and Music, Tim's awesome and great book and record shop at squeezeboxbooks.com. We are also excited to announce that you can now find Stories from the Stylus on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. So let your family and friends know they can now subscribe. And while you're at it, subscribe yourself and leave us a review. And you can continue to subscribe to us through Mixcloud.com and become a Mixcloud Select subscriber. Find more information on our website at storiesfromthestylus.com. Okay, let's put on a record. Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast. I'm Tim Peterson. I'm Mark Harley-Wilson. This is Stories from the Stylus. Every episode, we go through 60 years of recorded music, roughly, choosing 78s from each of our respective collections. I'll bring 10 records over to Mark's house. He'll pick three good ones. And Tim will pick three records randomly out of my collection, which we've been doing so far. Yeah, good point. I don't know if they're going to be good ones, right? That's... (laughs) It's the random aspect that makes it fun. Absolutely. Although you have been curating, and I actually noticed another pattern in your records today. Actually, two patterns. Oh, fascinating. That was unintentional. Ah, some unintentional patterns. Yeah, the way my brain works. It's the way I dress. (laughs) So shall we get started? I think you went first last time, so I'll go first this time. Awesome. A plum enchanted boy They say he wandered fur Yep, he wandered fur On land and sea He was kind of shy With one bad eye But a real wise guy was he And then one day This feller passed my way And man, we chewed the fat About this and that And he done said to me The darndest thing You'll ever learn Is how to love Skippy, the boy I mean was also peachy keen, a real gone guy from Gonville. He was scatty boo and oogledy too, and he lived in Passahogan. He built his nest. Yeah, that's it, wait, the boy. wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Come in later. Excuse me. Well, that's all right, but just wait. He built his nest in a big oak tree, and I got to skip down there. One happy day in a big cafe, there was something that caught his eye. The menu read, well, here's what it said. Fresh, yeah, that's wait the boy. a minute, wait, wait. Fresh Hoganberry pie. Oh, neat. The sad-eyed boy exclaimed, Yes, that's the boy. Oh, go that's ahead. That enchanted boy. That boy that wandered fur, so very fur, over land and sea. He was awful shy, I counted his bad eye, but a real wise guy was he. Then one day, 
his jasper passed my way. And man went through some golf about things and stuff, and this he said to me. No, that's all right. I think he's... I, I, I don't, don't see why you say it. that he can't can say it. Can we get a rolling hair, please? Can we get a rolling... You may all... You may all talk. The darndest thing you'll ever learn is just to love and then return and love some more and get a little love right back. Okay, so Mark, what was that? <laughs> You're asking yourself. <laughs> I'm asking myself because that that was not at all what I expected. That record was please, nuts. <laughs> please explain. Why why was it not what you expected? <laughs> What's it called? Well, it's on Capitol Records. It's record number uh one five two one zero. The <laughs> and I should have expected it. The name of this song, and I have to <laughs> I'm trying to read it because it's so weird. It's 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 Sarutan Yab. Sarutan Yab. Yes, and in parentheses it says a song for backward boys and girls under forty. <laughs> That's vocals by Karen Tedder and I'm sorry. It's vocals by Karen Tedder and Enrotua. Wow. That's spelled E-N-R-O-H-T-W-A-H. Nice. I think every I think everything here is somewhat backwards. Wait, isn't there an overall band there? This is based on Nature Boy by Eden Abez. Ab yeah? Eden that, Abez. That that's a real name. Yeah. Okay. And that of course was the unnatural seven. Red Ingle. Red Ingle. Yeah, absolutely. I've known his name. I've seen it in a lot of different places. Uh and I like a good nutty record. I didn't know, uh, but also akin to Spike Jones. Yeah, very much period. so. Yeah, but I and I saw you know that they worked you know t- uh, together for quite a while. Um, but this was not like the well put together song with the zany kazoo's and you know whatever else was happening in that song. Well, I think the idea being that it's it's hillbilly parody. So if Spike Jones is doing pop music or you know swing bands or whatever he was parodying, that Red Engel in his Natural 7 or his Unnatural 7 in this one. Red Engel usually does uh hillbilly versions of popular songs. In this case, Nature Boy, which is Surat and Yab backwards. Oh, so smart you. <laughs> I'm so glad I have you here. But here's the thing, like it wasn't just like a hillbilly song and they changed the words or they were poking fun. It was like there were these guys in the studio sort of talking over the the hillbilly artist, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um I, I'm not even sure I got so distracted, I guess, by the whole format, I'm not even sure what they were even talking about. It was more the ex- just the experience of the record itself. Well, my, my experience with Red Ankle is that he'll usually take the lyrics from a popular song like Nature Boy and tweak them to either plain English or kind of, you know, backwoods kind of talk, that sort of thing. The other thing is that I don't I don't know if you figured out who the singer was or if I'm not even 100 percent sure this is. But uh, Joe Stafford, you know, beautiful singer from the 40s and yeah. 50s, worked with Red Ingle under the name Cinderella G. Stump. And would sing out of tune, amazing. Like, just, it's freaking amazing. And she went on to make comedy records, too, with her husband, Paul Weston, as uh, Jonathan and Darlene Edwards, Mm -hmm. where she would sing flat and he would play poorly. The whole thing. I mean, it's a very acquired taste. (laughs) One of the themes I was going to say of the records you brought today, um, I mean, Capitol Records are easy to find, but even in the 78 discography, it wasn't even dated. Also, all your records are from the late 40s. Also, two of them are purple of the three that I picked. <laughs> and we'll see what the other theme is wow. a little later on. All unintentional. Yeah, Karen Tedder. That name didn't pop up for me, but I didn't actually look her up. I, I was digging into 
Ernest Jansen Engel um, and trying to learn a little bit about him. I knew his name. I just didn't know much about him. What's funny is that we were tr- I was trying to find a record earlier, a song called Chloe, and actually because he was so well-known for his you know, comedy music and routines and things like that, one example they had was that in the film Bring on the Girls, where he takes off the vaudeville song, Chloe, he would run on in a fright wig, combat boots, and a nightgown while waving a lantern, <laughs> climaxing the song with the cry, I gotta go, as he dived into an outhouse. <laughs> in a fright wig. That's my favorite part of the whole thing, a fright wig. Maybe that should be the name of our podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, um, I, I may have to go back and listen to that one again at some point. It's a weird song, a B-side, I guess, something. I don't know. That was just, the, that was their shtick. I mean, all the records sound like that. Okay. Yeah. Oh, and that was another thing about this record. I didn't, I didn't think it was you that had done this, but literally scratched into the label, there's an arrow pointing at uh, Suratan Yab, and next to it is scratched 9-16-48. There you go. Must have been the date of purchase. I guess. Seems easier to write it in pen than to scratch it in the label. Yeah, you'd think so. Or the date it was recorded? Eh, perhaps. All right, we've kicked things off. Where should we go next? Ooh la la. I suggest that we go to France. That's that's the terrible French accent. You're turning into, uh, what's his name face? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Who's the guy we talked about last time? Oh, Slim Gale. I'm turning into Slim Gaylord. That's the guy. With my bad impressions. Perfect. Uh, I pulled a Charles Trenet record. Dans mon cœur est enterré depuis le jour béni où je vous vis. Annie, vous avez séduit un maradja. Anna, eh bien vous n'avez séduit que moi. Tandis qu'Anna dans sa maison fait la lessive, dans les salons sa sœur Annie fait la lascive. Le maradja met des trésors sur sa poitrine. Cette poitrine m'a tout l'air d'une vitrine. Annie, tous vos amis font du cinéma. Anna, je suis vraiment votre seul ami. Annie, c'est un doux, vous dit toujours, ça va toi. Anna, il ne faut pas envier sa vie, lui. Raja, je préfère au trésor d'un jour, un bel amour qui dure toujours. Annie, vous sortez en robe d'apparat. Anna, vous restez toujours seul à Paris. Un jour la pauvre Annie vient frapper à ma porte Toc toc, elle a des yeux qui font des pierres une morte Le Maharaja vient de partir pour Singapour En emportant ses bijoux faux Comme son amour Annie, vous vous êtes jeté dans mes bras Anna, tous trois nous avons pleuré sans bruit Annie, vous êtes resté trois jours dans le coma Anna, hier vous avez épousé le commis et moi, qui ne suis pas un maradja, mais un ami, je suis 
suis parti, parti. Je suis parti pour... Ouh, ouh. Non, pas pour le Tyrol. Pour Bratislava. Là-bas, je vais essayer de refaire ma vie. En oubliant... En ennui. Wow, what a, what a great song. That was lovely. Charles Trenet, Annie, Anna. That's without the French accent at all. That was a French 78, a French Columbia 78, CL6914. And I think I bought this one from you, as a matter of fact. Well, I must say it's in beautiful condition. <laughs> Absolutely. I commented on that when we pulled it out. It would look shiny and new. This record yeah. is from 1939. Mm. Uh, Mr. Tenet was only 26 years old when he sang this song. Wow. Yeah, I wouldn't have guessed that. So a little a little uh, brief research on Charles Trenet was that he worked as a, a duo with a piano player, Swiss piano player from the 30s to the, I'm sorry, the 37 to 36, and then kind of embarked on a solo career right before the war broke out. And once the Germans had occupied France, he wanted to make that money. He was happy to perform, I read, for all the occupying forces and German officers and so on and so forth. Sure. And at one point, there was a newspaper article about him that accused him of being Jewish, that Trené was a, an anagram of Netter, okay. the Jewish name. And so he had, ah. to, he had to pull out his family tree and prove that he was not Jewish so he could keep making that money. Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're you know, it's funny. All the records I think I have are, are late 40s, so sort of post-war um, but yeah, as we're getting into the war, it's amazing on how much music survived and artists that survived, of course. I mean, that, you know, he looked twice the wrong way. Mm -hmm. That might've been the last record we had from him. Yeah. It's, it's pretty fascinating. In fact, he was even, uh, pulled into court after the war and, uh, for possibly colluding with the Germans. Yeah. No, that would, yeah. I mean, if he was appealing to, I mean, appealing, but if he was appealing to them, I imagine that uh, some people might have taken that the wrong way. Yeah, he was he was merely reprimanded. This article said. Mm. However, the music phenomenal. I like the little rumba part that kind of came in at the uh, the chorus. I assume the yeah. other thing is without knowing any French, uh, you know, each phrase starts out with Annie or Anna, and I'm like, this is just the two sides of the one gal. You know, mm. kept picturing the 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 uptight Anna and the casual Annie in her little capris. I know the sound of French. I certainly recognize a few words, but probably less than you. And now it's just about the melody, the rhythm, the feeling of the song. It's the intent. It's sort of the little bit of, I don't know, how to, like, how do you put that into words? Like, there's a little bit of a... Non, pas pour le Tyrol. Pour Bratislava. Là-bas, je vais essayer de refaire ma vie. And that feeling that's coming through his expression. But I don't know what he's saying at all, but it's it feels nice. and It's light, light and bubbly. Yeah, absolutely. Keeping spirits high. I mean, that's the experience I would imagine if I were from a different part of the world and didn't speak any English. Now it's just about the, the guts of rock and roll or mm -hmm. the, you know, thumping of dance music and whatever words are floating in there. Although, of course, obviously English is better well known than most languages. It's interesting. Not too long ago, I was watching one of these uh, singing shows 
Yeah. And there was a fellow who spoke no English, had a translator, and they said, okay, well, you know, go ahead and sing your song for us now. And he busted out like a Travis Tritt song or something like this guy just loved country. Somehow or another, it had, I mean, somehow or another, it's probably the internet, right? <laughs> this day and age, he's not working on a, you know, a, a, a ham radio to try to catch the broadcast from the States. But right. so he found that he loved country music and listened to it all the time and just sang it perfectly. Had no idea what the words were, had no idea what he was singing <laughs> and nailed it. That's awesome. You know, it's funny you mentioned country because I was going to go into our next record, which has nothing to do with country music. Mm -hmm. Sort of. Whoa. I woke up this morning feeling rather fit. And when I wasn't looking, I stepped in a pot full of sweet violets, sweeter than the roses, covered all over from head to toe, covered all over with snow. Touching little thing, Mary went to the well for water, she nearly had a fit. Instead of bringing up water, up came a bucket of sweet violets, sweeter than the roses, covered all over from head to toe, covered all over with snow. Johnny, our next door neighbor, the other night got lit. He lay there in the gutter Next to a big pile of sweet violets <laughs> Sweeter than the roses Open the window Covered all over from head to toe Covered all over with snow Casey, the baseball player Got so mad he quit Instead of catching a grounder, he picked up a bunch of sweet violets. Everybody sing, sweeter than... So Mark, hi. you said that that was not quite a country song. What did you mean? One of the things that was common among the records that you brought today was the fact that I was having trouble learning anything about them online. This particular one which I started researching first, I had to do some digging. First, I tried 78 discography, nothing. Then, of course, I tried looking just in a general search. So what were we listening to? Well, of course, that was the most lovely song of Sweet Violets by the Pearl Trio, as to be found on the label Pearl, record number 62-A. I've seen this label before. I don't know if I've seen it at your shop, somewhere else, online. I don't know. I'm always trying to keep my eyes peeled for interesting-looking labels. I, I honestly wasn't trying to torture you with uh, novelty <laughs> records. I had kind of forgotten that this was a novelty record. 
I didn't expect it to be until I flipped it over and saw Sweet Violets, but I have that done by uh, Hooser Hot Shots and maybe ah, somebody else. And the precursor to uh, shaving cream. Well, exactly. So then I started digging a little more. So I went to my other resource, which is the uh, 78 and Cylinder Collector Group on Facebook. And sure enough, who came up talking about this label, but none other than Barrett Hansen, Dr. Demento. Demento. He reflected on the fact that this was really a gentleman by the name of Larry Vincent. And Larry Vincent wrote really interesting songs that you might even find a little familiar, including the Freckle song. I don't know the Freckle. Actually, when we were listening to this, I looked up other Pearl titles and Freckle came up again and again, but I don't know it. The, the line that I know, and Hank Penny did a version of it, basically goes something like, She's got freckles on her butt. She's nice. And when she's in my arms, it's paradise. All the sailors give her a chase because they love her naval base. She's got freckles on her butt. She's nice. <laughs> That's a good one, right? So he did a whole bunch of things, and I guess considered himself kind of the W.C. Fields of music. So we can assume that was him singing his on his own label. Oh, yeah. absolutely. But So the freckle song must have been the big breakout. Yeah, I think it was. Well, the... There were a couple of them. One of them is called I Used to Work in Chicago. That Mm -hmm. came up in uh, the research a lot. I've never heard that one. And then the fishing song also. I'm surprised that they didn't sell well because I see the Ruth Wallace records everywhere. My favorite Ruth Wallace song, Davy's Got the Biggest Little Dinghy in the Navy. There. What was that like on a major label or are those on? No, those were were her records as well. They were on Wallace Records. So they were self. Yeah. Self-released. So that must have been that whole thing. I mean, from what I can tell, you know, this... Uh, this must have been like a backroom behind the curtain party records. Show me where your party records are. Right. Well, that, you know, there's there's a, a really nice uh, website, hensteeth.com, and this guy goes through all party records. Interestingly, Pearl wasn't listed, and I don't know if this falls into more kind of popular you know, sort of vibe versus it being really dirty or yeah. smutty or something like that. I got to say one verse and I was done. You really? That oh, was it. Put a put a fork in it. There, yeah. Where's your I, discard pile? Where's that again? Let me <laughs> add this to your discard. You know, it's pile. funny. Like to me, there's something about the way he was performing it. Even just the phrase of like "sing along." You know, it's like we're there in the room with him, just enjoying this song. You know, it's not just a wink and a nod, but the the joy of just like playing a song together. It's a cultural piece to you know gather the family around the piano. And play a song. Yeah, I feel like those times are gone. Oh, yeah. Maybe not. I mean, did you have any friends when you were growing up that did that? I didn't. If they were playing... Um, In terms of sing-alongs with the right. family or friends or something. I mean, I had friends that took piano lessons, but I never those kind of gather-together moments. No, not at all. I mean, if they were playing, it was really more like, you know, come and hear Jody play the... Bach concerto for, you know, five minutes after dinner or something like that. I don't know. Have you ever gone to someone's house and like, oh, Uncle Joe's here. We're going to go sing some tunes. No. I mean, I've certainly had friends talk about, you know, having a handful of musicians over and, you know, having a little jam session, playing some familiar tunes, playing a Stones tune or Beatles tune, something like that. But has anything taken its role? Have you ever gone karaoke singing? I have not. I have. It's not good. (laughs) Um, I've always wanted to. I, we should try it again, you and I. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're not game. Well, no, it's not that. It's just I, I don't. 
I can sing. I can sing if there are people around me singing in tune. I have an ear for that. I can kind of latch on and find the key and the rest of it. But if I'm solo singing, it's a mess. I've already got my jams lined up, though. Meatloaf Paradise by the Dashboard Light. Yeah, I'm surprised you've never done this. Yeah, I don't know why. It seems one of those like things. Natural... No, no one ever invited me, and I never was inspired Aww. to grab a crew and go. What yeah. was it? What did you sing? You uh, oh, I made a ho- well. What I sang was the wrong song. It was Ricky. Don't lose that number. Whoa. Yeah, that's a moody song. Yeah, and it's hard, <laughs> like really hard to sing. And I went with some old girlfriend in college, and she, you know, everyone's going out. We got to go to karaoke. All right, fine. I, I, I love Steely Dan. Let me put this on while everyone goes to the bar to get their drinks and I'm just up there. <laughs> Solo, trying your best. Oh my gosh. And she and she was oh, so sweet. She stood by my side and smiled. And <laughs> it's kind of a long song, as I remember too. <laughs> it's not a, like a party song. You're like seven minutes into it. <laughs> don't lose that number. You don't want to call. No, absolutely. So those days are gone. Yeah. Oh, and I almost forgot that I said there was a country uh, hook. So yeah. when I was trying to figure out this darn label, of course, there is a record label named Pearl. It's Garth Brooks' label. <laughs> this was definitely not a Garth Brooks song. No, <laughs> not in the least bit. Shall we move on to the next record? Let's do it. Ain't you know, hard as we work tonight. I ain't even tired. That's why I keep twenty. Where you want to go, Chief? Let's go down the subway. Who's Ooh. working down there? Rod's working down there, man. You know where Rod are. They kept swinging out already. Come on, Jazz. Get your horn out. Let's go. Chew 
Newberry and his little jazz ensemble on Commodore 516. The tune was called Sittin' In. I really loved this song. It was good. Again, I, I so key in on what was happening in that room. You know, even the fact that they started with some like... The ad- room, man, they were in the subway. Did yeah, you listen exactly. to the intro? Hey man, let's yeah. go down in the subway. No, that's exactly it. It's like they're, they're ad-libbing. They're like, we're, they're telling this little story. We're going to go down to the subway and play some music. And then everybody starts joining in. Hey, you pick up your horn, you know, and so on. Yeah, that was great. And the uh, writing credits are credited as an ad lib. The writing credits are credited as an ad lib. Yeah, so an improvisation. Yeah, it actually says ad, ad lib. lib under huh. the, where we normally have the composer's name. I've never seen that before. Yeah, pretty great. And I own this record? So, yeah, uh, yeah, it's another point, right? Yeah, you own this record. <laughs> That was downstairs in a folder with some a Tiny Hill, who nobody ever listens to, right. some some Bing Crosby promos, which I almost pulled up, but this was a, a far better choice, I think. I mean, I love Bing Crosby. But yeah, you had some uh, some promo bingos down there. I have to remember where I even got it. Bear Bingle. And they were... It looks like a gift. It really does. It's like, oh, you like those old records? Here's some ones from our house. That's quite possible. I mean, there was there was a neighbor that dropped off. I think I showed you a picture a while back, like a stack of of seventy eights, and uh, you know, here you listen to records. I was actually out front um, in my yard playing one of my wind up portable phonographs, as most people are wont to do, yeah. of course. And she she was walking by with her dog, and so maybe that's why this record is here today. It's a jazz record, right? So we've got to we got to give everybody their props. That was Chewberry on tenor sax, Little Jazz on trumpet, Clyde Hart on piano, uh, Danny Barker on guitar. I didn't really notice the guitar much. Artie Shapiro on bass, and Big Sid Catlett, Big Sydney Catlett on drums. I loved those drums, man. Oh yeah, like they sound like they weren't tuned at all. It sounds like all those. It sounds like all the heads on the drums were just loosey-goosey. They were rumbling like a, a, you know, a jalopy. These are the cats a decade ahead that influenced Charlie Parker, Dizzy Gillespie, and so on. Chewberry himself, I was reading, he's a name that I've seen for years and never read much about. Uh, He got the nickname Chew because he had a Fu Manchu mustache. Nice. It's a fun, fun nickname. But he died very young. He died when he was only 33 years old. Mm. Uh, and so basically played around for about 10 years in his yeah. early 20s to his early 30s. But most notably wrote one of my favorite songs and I didn't even know it because he wrote it with Andy Razoff, who's a, a great lyricist. Wow. And uh, he wrote Christopher Columbus, which is the song that turned into Sing, Sing, Sing for Benny Goodman. Sure, yeah. And Christopher Columbus, like the Louis Prima version of Christopher Columbus is hot, hot, hot. This was on Commodore. Correct. Commodore 516. Yeah. Do you know much about their label or their history? I don't know if anything came up in your research or not. The funny thing was that the flip side of this record is called 46 West 52nd. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, it's got to be a jazz club or something important. So I'm Googling the address and we're in Chicago land. So I came up to Chicago. I'm like, no, 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 New York. I, gotta find it. I couldn't find anything. When mm-hmm. I blow up the image of the label, I'm looking closely at the label here. It's the address for Commodore Records. It's the- <laughs> it was under my nose the whole time. <laughs> So wait, that was the name of the song on the flip side? Yeah, the name of the song on the flip side is is the Commodore Records address. Was their address. Interesting. Yeah, I know a little bit about them, but I know that uh, Strange Fruit was on this label. Oh, yeah, tons of Billy Holiday on Commodore, for sure. And I didn't know enough about it, uh, but uh, other than the fact that, you know, nobody would record that record initially. And so Commodore said, yeah, come and record that here. Yeah, and the uh, Mosaic Records years ago did a great reissue series of all the Commodore sides on uh, on regular LPs and CDs. Mm. 
They're beautiful, beautiful songs. Little Jazz, I, I kind of rolled right past here, but very common to have uh, pseudonyms of the jazz players. So because they've got label contracts and so on. So Little uh, Jazz okay. is Roy Eldridge. Oh, wow. Okay. And I was sure I knew that Roy Eldridge was in like Basie's band or Ellington's band or mm. I, I couldn't quite place which one. I think I was completely off. When I was reading about good old Roy, he's just, he he was a jobber that played with everybody. Wow. Everybody. Yeah. And most notably, actually, Artie Shaw and Gene Krupa, which is interesting. Bands that I don't pay that much attention to. Do you listen to much jazz? I don't always take you for, uh, I mean, like, I think you listen to everything, but I don't always take you for, like, a, a jazz fan. I'm a huge jazz fan. Probably uh, every day. It goes, yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, turn over this rock. No, of course, Tim's already been down that rabbit hole. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Look, Tim, it's jazz. Have you heard of this record before? Yeah, when I was when I was in my 20s, my dad gave me the Gunther Schuller book about the swing era. Gunther mm. Schuller wrote some great books. There's a great book on early jazz. There's a great book on the swing era, and, and he's working on uh, one that's post that. I mean, I think the swing era stopped in 45, his book anyway. Hmm. I just remember my dad wrote this little inscription about, you know, good luck getting through this tome because it was just huge. It was wow. like double the size of a Bible with all these details wow. about, you know. My problem with jazz, and it's not really a bad thing, it's just that it's very overwhelming to me. There's, it's, and it's so deep, uh, at least a lot of the better music to my ears. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, do I want a can of soda or do I want to sit down with a glass of bourbon, you know? Yeah. And if I'm soda, I'm going to pop, obviously. I'm going to rock. I'm going to things that are easily digestible, that are refreshing, that get my day going along. Oh, that's hilarious. I thought you were going to talk about the different genres of jazz or the j different styles of jazz. There's, you know, there's a, there's soda pop and jazz and there's bourbon and jazz. Oh, well, so. sure. Yeah. And that now, right, now we're <laughs> getting deeper and deeper. Too much to think about. And so I've, I, I, there are, I mean, I think I've told you this before, but there are some areas of music that I like. I dabble in, but I can't get in deep because if I do, I'm going to get totally lost in the woods and be stuck there for a while. That don't matter. Get lost. Get lost for a week. Get lost for a month. Sounds you know? like a, a song or a record. And then, and then come on back home. Who's that? Chet Baker? Am I close? <laughs> I don't know. Isn't there a get lost? Come on. Oh, let's get lost. Yeah. Sure. Oh, yeah. Chet Baker. Yeah. See, I'm trying. Yeah, you I try. You know your jazz. There. <laughs> I can scratch a surface as well as anybody else. Absolutely. Okay. So we've gone through a number of records. I think we've got a couple left. I have a proposal for you. Lay it on me. Which is not to switch off, but I want to go to your next record and end on mine. Ooh. Can do. One morning when I was out shopping, though you'll find it hard to believe, a little blue man came out of the crowd and timidly tugged at my sleeve. I love you, I love you, said the little blue man. I love you, I love you to bits. I love you. He loved me, said the little blue man, and scared me right out of my wits. I hurried back to my apartment I rushed in and I closed the door But there on the desk stood the little blue man Who started to tell me once more I love you, I love you
And who wants to go first on this one? Well, I'll tell you what it was. It was Betty Johnson singing Winter in Miami. Oh, no, wait. <laughs> it's a red label uh, Atlantic. I was thinking it's going to be hot. It's going to be like Ruth Brown, Ray yeah. Charles. Yes. Betty Johnson sounds good. I pulled it. I, I cleaned it. I'm ready to play it. And before I put it on, I flipped it over and the little blue man is there. It's like, ah, oh, damn, I know this song. You knew this song? <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I have this on a 45. I put this on comps years ago. Wow. So obviously just, you know, light pop novelty. Man, we hit the novelty day today. <laughs> we did it. Hit the, the novelty no- button hard. <laughs> Boop. Yeah. All right. Let me let me just give you a, a couple little uh, backstory pieces. One, and I'll, I I will I will put it out there that I see you digging through my stack, and you're like you're like you have this big grin on your face. He's like, oh, I've got these two records, and I'm looking, and I went, oh yeah, that's my discard pile. Oh. <laughs> no, and but we went for it. Now, why did I discard this record? Well, I was so angry. <laughs> I got it because, I don't know, somewhere between 14 to 16 years of age, you know, I grew up here in Evanston and I would go to the Evanston Public Library and would t- take out uh, CDs. And the funny thing was they had a really great CD collection and they had that Atlantic... Com- oh, the complete uh, singles. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like the whole thing. Eventually, I ended up buying a couple of the, the records. Oh, no, I bought the cassettes and then I just like played them nonstop. So good. All right. right. Yeah, those when hot I, R&B songs. Oh my gosh. So when I began collecting 78s and I realized, holy crap, like all these songs I listened to when I was younger, they're all off of 78s. I mean, obviously later 45s as well. Um, but the early stuff was right there. And I was, I've been, you know, picking things up, Ray Charles, Ruth Brown, uh, you know, other artists. And then I saw this one. I thought, oh, okay, I don't recognize it. I don't remember the name from the, the, the collection. That's hilarious. You purchased it for the same reason I just pulled it. Absolutely. I was like, oh, well, this will probably be good anyway, or it'll be an unknown thing, or it'll be a little too raw or something. And I was like, what the boop is that? <laughs> like, what am I listening to? It's like She this, assassinated an alien. There, <laughs> I know. It's like a song about stalking. It's a song about murder. It's a, It's like... And it's so lively, and, uh, not lively, what's the word? It's so... It's light. It's, light? It's light and bubbly. It's, it's so sweet. Yeah. The darker the song gets. <laughs> One evening in wild desperation, I rushed to a rooftop in town, and over the side pushed the little blue man who sang to me all the way down. I love you, I love you, said the little blue man. I love you, I love you to bits. I love you, he loved me, said the little blue man, and scared me right out of my wits. I whispered, thank goodness that's over. I smiled as I hurried outside. But there on the street stood the little blue man Who said with a tear in his eye I don't love you anymore So what do you know about this song? What do you know about this artist? Anything? So Zilch, I I tried to look her up. I got nothing. Yeah. It just says, you know, she was a popular recording artist from 55 to 58 or something. Interestingly enough, actually, this record is from 58, Mm. which I point out because... I don't remember finding a 78 and 59. I found a couple in 58. I have a James Brown from 58. I've got a yeah. Stables from 58. This is 58. That seemed to be the year that it stopped. I'm sure there might be a 
something from 59 or 60 floating around, but yeah. I've never bumped into one. Well, you've got me, you've got me rethinking this record, even just as an anomaly on the Atlantic label and an anomaly being what is probably the most recent 78. Am I saying that right? Like in the, <laughs> the last in the line of the Atlantic 78s, perhaps. That's it. Thank yeah. you. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, and it's horrible to listen to. I don't know. I haven't even, I don't even know if I listened to the other side or not. Well, I have to say, I started to put on Winter in Miami. I'm like, Mark, let me put this on. You're like, no, you got to stick. Well, you said pick one or the other. Yeah. That's what you said. You didn't, you didn't say no. You said pick one or the other. And I was like, ah, damn. all right. I know that she kills the dude at the end. So that's kind of a funny twist. Well, how did you even come across? You just had this on a 45, like over the years or? Yeah. So this is interesting though, because this time period, there were a bunch of uh, novelty songs about outer space. I mean, yeah. TV shows, My Favorite Martian, things like that. But I I, uh, I Googled a quick list here and I got Flying Saucer Boogie, The Creature from Outer Space, Flying Saucer Rock and Roll, My Satellite Baby, The First Man on Mars, Sputniks and Mutniks. So there were lots and lots of kind of space novelty songs from that point in time. You're talking about... 58 uh, forward, or that was 1950s. Not yeah. not just not one year, but right. the 1950s. I mean, what was the big, the uh, when was Flying Purple People Eaters? That has oh, to be sure, a, yeah. About the same, same time, time, for right? sure. Yep. I feel like this is where, like, hello, Barrett Hansen, can you please? <laughs> Half <laughs> we need hour the hotline, later. The, the red phone, <laughs> hotline to Dr. Demento. Exactly. It's got like googly eyes on it that bounce around <laughs> or something <laughs> like that. Absolutely. I, I just feel bad that we tortured our listeners with yet another novelty <laughs> song in one episode. <laughs> It's it's a weird one. You know, if anything, I will say this. One of the things I love doing is pulling out uh, all my Christmas records. And I was playing some for some friends. And of course, what song did I put on that I shouldn't have put on? <laughs> oh, Baby, It's Cold Outside. You got it. Oh, come on. Although I must admit that it was the uh, Homer and Jethro version. Oh, that's the best. With Who's the... Uh, June Carter. June Carter. Yeah, now June Carter Cash. Yeah, yeah, who's singing at the age of 17 on that oh, song. that's so good. Right. There's, there's video of that, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> they were on a show or something, right? Yeah. I think doing it. They did a bunch of records together. Side note, Jethro's from Evanston. Were you aware of that? What? Jethro Burns. Uh, I don't think he's from Evanston. He moved to Evanston. Wow. Yeah. And he and I think it's Chet Atkins married twin sisters. So Chet would frequently come to Evanston. He lived right on Main Street. Oh kind of across God. from Washington School. Yeah. And he taught in the 70s. He, he moved back to Evanston in the, either moved to or moved back to Evanston in the 60s and early 70s. And he taught guitar lessons and mandolin lessons at Guitar Works, which is the spot that my store currently sits. So right. when I moved into this new space, they had rehearsal rooms in the basement. And hmm. when I went down to kind of break up these little four by five rooms, and just opened up a bigger space. One of them was a, a door that had a star drawn on it that said Jethro, but it was kind of sloppy yeah. and sharpy. Like his, his coworkers just thought like, it's Jethro Burns. He needs a star of fame on his rehearsal door. Or his, Holy cow. The room he gives lessons. So I've still got that door downstairs with Jethro's uh, star on it. So yeah. I'm sorry to digress into Homer and Jethro there, but. No, not at all. So, yeah, so that discussion kind of like, you know, I play this record and we start getting into the talk about the record. And of course, you know, but it was also a thought, well, we could play these kinds of records on our podcast and bring people in and have them talk about how wrong they are and how bad they are and yeah. so on and so forth. That's that's where my brain went listening to this song and I thought, oh, perfect. I would play that record and then this one. And then say, <laughs> see, there was good things that happened and women could stand up for themselves and throw their oppressors over the sides of buildings. <laughs> and 
Wow, that's a take I never would have Wow, that's a good one. That's where my brain goes. I'm I'm a little fascinated by this record in sort of the the catalog of Atlantic. It's like, I don't know that I've ever heard anything like this coming out of that label at that time. Now, I know later on the label, what, it it pretty expanded a lot, right? I mean, there are a lot of- They signed Led Zeppelin. Right, I've heard of them. Yeah, are they on 78 or- (laughs) But mostly what I knew was the R&B side of it. Was there, do you know if there was another side of Atlantic? My mind's spinning right now trying to think of other kind of pop vocal stuff. I don't, I don't know of any. They may have tried it. I mean, obviously they did it with this because I know the, I have the complete uh, Motown singles set as well. Mm -hmm. And those very first years of Motown, they just, they threw it at the wall to see if it would stick. They Mm -hmm. put out country records. They put out pop vocal records. They, they just, anything to make a buck. Well, King label was like that as well. I mean, mm-hmm. that's another phenomenal, you know, label for early, you know, uh, rhythm and blues and country also. And they were out of Cincinnati. Yeah. Right. That blew my mind when I first started buying King records and then I'm finding kind of both worlds. And then they had another label called Queen that, oh, all, yeah. that was like Hillbilly and I think some country stuff too. One of my Holy Grail records is a King 45. Brother Claude Eli, ain't no grave gonna hold my body down. Wow, that sounds good. If you ever see that on 78 or 45, you know. Was it that early? You think it was 78 era or? Uh, yeah, it's in mid 50s. Yeah. Hmm. What is it? Uh, what, what is the song? Sing it for us. Ain't no grave gonna hold my body down. Ain't no grave gonna hold my body down. You did it. There you go. That was wonderful. <laughs> Thank you very much. Well, good night. <laughs> The uh, so it's like deep blues kind of. No, he's a country blues. Or? Uh, not even. He's yeah. it, it might have sounded like that, but he he's a <laughs> um, uh, uh, a tent preacher. Yeah, a tent revival. He would hold tent revivals yeah. as a singing preacher, yeah. basically. So, uh, country gospel song. Mm. Johnny Cash did that tune in one of the many many later Johnny Cash records mm. that all came out that Rick Rubin did with him, and uh, doesn't hold a candle to oh, I'm sure. that brother Cla- Claude Eli. So I'm glad, I am. I guess I'm glad you grabbed this record. Can we wrap things up and take us home? I can't wait to hear what you held uh, held out to the end. And it's from my stash. Yeah. I don't even know. I think it'll bring this whole thing home and maybe make good for some of the, you know, stumbles or... <laughs> I'm excited. Strange. And any any statement or intro? I'm going to give the um, the name, but I won't say much about it till it's over. Mm-hmm. So what we're going to listen to is Ash Recordings, record 5080. The song Cousin Family, vocal by Lord Invader, with Felix and his internationals. Don't 
don't bother me, Matilda, to lay that jive on Lord Invader. Ah, I don't bother me, Matilda, to lay that jive on Lord Invader. But she told me plainly, baby, don't you wear no jealousy. He just come to visit me, he is my cousin family. Woman made me feel hell. One morning I went and ring her bell. She waited an hour or more before she came and opened the door. Then she told me plainly, baby, don't you wear no jealousy. He just come to visit me. He is my cousin family. When she opened the door, I tried to kiss her. She said, Cousin Jack, me Lord Invader. I was so mad to tell you the truth. The man was wearing my pajama suit. And she told me, plainly, baby, don't you wear no jealousy. He just come to visit me. He is my cousin family. I told her, baby, don't be no stupidness. I don't like this kind of family business. She said, indeed, I listen to this. He is not your antagonist. And she told me, friendly baby, don't you wear no jealousy. He just come to visit me. He is my cousin family. Baby, you're not treating me right. May I remain with you here tonight? The bold faced woman made me to know her cousin must stay, but I got to go. Then she told me plainly, baby, don't you wear no jealousy. He just come to visit me, he is my cousin family. Rupert Westmore Grant otherwise known as Lord Invader. Lord, Lord, Lord. Calypso's man. The, the kings of double entendres. Now, this song, not so much. I, I, who would have known that this episode would turn into such a novelty slash double entendre slash naughty records? Yeah. The Americans got nothing on the Calypsonians. The, the Ruth Wallaces and the Pearl Trios and the Benny Bells don't come close. I do have a hard time understanding the dialect. I don't know if... Oh, it's um, challenging. Yeah. But I find, you know, a lot of the, uh, you know, Calypso music, I'm mostly I'm just enjoying it. You know, mostly I'm just enjoying the sound and the rhythm and, and the, the nature of it. Well, I suppose I've listened to a lot of reggae too. Mm -hmm. And so there's, you know, it's, it's, it's close. There's like a certain kind of patois that's coming out in that, uh, you know, in that dialect. And so, it, I don't know, certain tones, certain sounds, probably the, the, that and listening to tons of Calypso. I've listened to lots of Calypso. Have you? Yeah. yeah. Can you explain this song? Well, it wasn't double entendre, but he keeps, you know, he goes to visit his girl and she doesn't come to the door for an hour. He's a patient guy. There. She, does, she doesn't come to the door for an hour. And there's a fella in there wearing his pajamas, but she's like, no, no, he's my cousin. He's my cousin. Don't family. worry. He's my cousin's family. Ah, <laughs> thank Don't you. you worry. Don't be jealous, man. It's, it's good. It's good. When she opened the door, I tried to kiss her. She said, cousin, Jack, me, Lord, Invader. I was so mad to tell you the truth. The man was wearing my pajama suit. And she told me, plainly, baby, don't you wear no jealousy. He just comes to visit me. He is my cousin family. You're amazing at this. I actually really love Calypso music. And initially when I grabbed this record, 
I didn't know what it was. You had a couple of Ash records in there, I think. Yeah. I've seen uh, some of these other names, Attila the Hun and a few of the other. There's a Lord somebody else, and I can't... Uh, oh, there's. I think there's a couple Lords. Right. They all have great, great names. Exactly, and they're so over the top. The Duke of Iron is one of my favorites. I ended up picking up a collection called Fall of Man, Calypso's Human Condition, 1935 to 1941, the names on this, the Tiger, Lord Beginner, King Radio, the Lion, the Lion and Attila, the the Growler, and Mighty Destroyer are many of the artists that are on this. Great names. Right. Those are like precursors to badass rapper names. You know, you might be onto something there, actually. <laughs> you know, it's a really, really good point. I, yeah. I don't know. Uh, I don't know that I've ever heard even Calypso being sampled necessarily or being used outside of its own thing. I'm sure it has been. It's got to be, right? Rupert got his name changed from his tailor, who gave him his moniker by commenting, I tell you, Rupert, you should call yourself Lord Invader, so when you go up to the city, you be invading the capital. Wow. So with his new name in 1937, he went to the capital city of Port of Spain and began his career in earnest. Yeah. Fantastic. He's also well known for something else, and actually a song that uh, got him uh, into a bit of hot water, um, and it is called Rum and Coca-Cola. Oh, yeah. How did that get in, him into hot water, Well, though? not so much him as Maury Amsterdam, who plagiarized the song. And while he was touring in New York City, Amsterdam kind of... I guess recreated the song or repen the song or something. I see. Is, so the Andrews sisters do not have a Lord Invader credit. They no, have Maury Amsterdam. They credit. do. Ah. And it took many, many years for him to actually see some kind of compensation. Oh, fascinating. Yeah. I knew that there was a, that was obviously a Calypso song. Yeah. And that's why he ended up recording for Ash because he was kind of waiting in New York to see how this, this, these court trials were going to turn out. That was really, really interesting. I mean, there's always these little tidbits. You know, these musicians seem to get around, obviously. They're touring, they're doing different things. And then they'll have like this one little hit that'll burst into something else. We had Ico Ico uh, in our last episode right. with Sugar Boy. Mm -hmm. Ash, I've picked up a few of those. I think the ones that I tend to pick up uh, tend to be a little drier than I want. Josh White, for example. Right. And I. Little dry. Yeah. You know, I, and even Josh White was an interesting character, too. I don't know if we'll get to one of his records eventually, but he got called up against the un American activities, you know, trials that were going oh, on. Oh, wow. Yeah. And essentially named names and was blacklisted from, you know, record companies and other places. Oh, so that's fascinating. That goes back to that Charles Trenet thing a little bit, too. Just yeah. Just sort of like, what, what, what do you do? Do you try to keep your career going or. Do you name names? Right. So I don't know. It's a label that I find interesting and fascinating. I'm not a huge folk fan, but then it seems like Calypso seems to fall under folk, I guess, because... Because it's not popular music. Right. Right. That's, exactly. Yeah. How did you come to Calypso music? What did you... Was there a, an aha moment or not necessarily? That's a really good question. I have one. Let's hear it. In my early days working at record stores, a Van Dyke Parks record came across the counter called uh, Discover America. It's got two giant touring buses or two like Greyhound buses on the front. And I was like, eh, it looks like kind of an early 70s California, kind of going to be like the Eagles, Linda Ronstadt kind of vibe. And I put it on and it sounded like this. Bio, 
was mind blowing. I'd mm. never heard anything like this. Yeah. And Van Dyke Parks obviously love Calypso records and most of the tunes on that. That's an interesting point, actually. I think most of the tunes on that are ripped off because I think he takes writing credit for mm. a number of the tunes. I'd have to go back and look at the yeah. album to, to verify this. I might be making it up, but I don't think he gave credit to some of the original authors on these tunes, too. And similar to the Mo Ash thing, he copped a lot of the songs from one Calypso compilation from 1964 called The Real Calypso. Mm which is not on Folkways, I don't think, but it's got a Folkways kind of vibe. And anyway, so he he nailed the sound as if it were like a 1940s or an early 1950s uh, Calypso. Wow. Him, him singing the vocals on a lot of the stuff and just nailing it. The songs are so good. Hmm. So, so good. Now, needless to say, that 64 comp of the real guys doing it, and those are probably comps of 78s from the 40s and so on, are uh, is even better. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, if anything, I came to Calypso certainly through Harry Belafonte, you know? Mm -hmm. um, that was certainly the first thing. I mean, Deo. Well, Deo certainly, but the Sinora, the... Jump in the line. Jump in the line. Thank dance, you. Dance, dance, yeah. Right, exactly. I mean, that's the one that I, as a kid, and then you know, they got played in Beetlejuice ad nauseum and so on right. in the movie. It could have been something I heard on NPR once and went, whoa, what's that, you know? Uh, one of those kinds of things. Yeah, Calypso is just a treasure trove of great tunes. The fascinating thing is the the tunes do sound very similar a lot of right. the time. Yeah. One of the other things that's fascinating about Calypso was its popularity in in the fifties uh, mm -hmm. uh, as guys were coming back from the Pacific and oh. had ex, you know exposure to all that, and they started selling more Calypso records, buying Calypso records. Maya Angelou made a Calypso record. She did. Yeah. Last night he went out drinking. When he came home, he gave me a beating. So I picked up the rolling pin and went to work on his head till I bashed it ding. And now he's stone cold dead in the market. Stone cold dead in the market. Stone cold dead in the market. And I've killed nobody but me husband. Louis Farrakhan made a Calypso record. Uh, that I didn't know. Trying to find a solution about a certain person. With this modern surgery, they change him from he to she. But behind that lipstick rouge and paint, I got to know if she is or if she ain't. And Robert Mitchum made a Calypso record. Now all you have to do is just what I say, and then you may be jolly merry and gay. Therefore, from a logical point of view, Better marry a woman uglier than you. From a logical point of view, always marry a woman uglier than you. And the the Maya Angelou and the Farrakhan, both of which I have, are all right. They're yeah. they're okay. Yeah. But the the Mitchum record is so good because it's fascinating. It's not corny. Hmm. He obviously really really loves the music. Yeah. And he's got a great feel for it. So he's got a crack band and he sings these songs in like the the most joyous way. It's a it's a brilliant record. Wow. It stands with all these other Calypsonian dudes. Actually, the one collection I do have is Wilmoth Houdini. Oh yeah. Right? He's great. The album that I picked up uh, from him, I got at a, uh, the Antique Phonograph Music Show that happens in Union, Illinois once a year. And it was just sitting there with a couple of other things. And I wasn't certainly looking for it by any means, but I, on the front is this beautiful black and white photograph of him with like skeletons and, you know, <laughs> zebra stripes and things. And it was like, uh, oh, oh, that like that's unusual. That's not something I'd usually see, especially at that show, which tends to focus on the earlier stuff. 
And I asked the guy and he's like, 15 bucks. I was like, Done. oh yeah. I grabbed it. And I just like, that was, the fir- that was the first thing I saw when I walked in the door, grabbed it, put it in my bag, got it home and realized two of the records of the three were identical. <laughs> Oh, which was a little bit of a bummer. It was like, ah, okay. I just thought of a sample, and it's Wilmoth Houdini. Oh, interesting. He's got a tune called Frankie Sinatra. Okay. That was sampled by the Avalanches. Wow. And turned into the main hook of the tune. I can't think of what the name of the song huh. is off the top of my head, but they sampled the Houdini Frankie Sinatra. Oh, Frankie Sinatra. Oh, Frankie Sinatra. Well, I'm glad you brought all these fun records today. I'm still like astounded how our picks seem to kind of line up, or maybe we're making them line up. I'm not sure, but today it was obvious how they kind of all fit together. That's kind of wild. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming and doing this. It's a blast as always. Oh, Frank Sinatra, man. Thanks for listening to Stories from the Stylus. I'm Tim Peterson. And I'm Mark Harley Wilson. Our show is edited by the magnificent Mr. Mark Harley Wilson. And produced by the magnificent Tim Peterson and myself. We want to give a special thanks to our friends, family, and you, the listeners, for tuning in, and also to Steve Rashid for some technical assistance. And if you'd like to hear more of our episodes, follow up with us, leave us a comment. Please follow us on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or find us on our website, storiesfromthestylist.com. You can also find our episodes on Mixcloud, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. Enjoy what you've heard on this episode. We encourage you to go out and dig for the tunes yourself. A lot of our records were from very small shops as well as independent record stores. Show them your love and your support. Take some chances and it will pay off. Next time on Stories from the Stylist. It's super cartoony. Yeah. You can see crazy cartoon action to this. And that was pretty much all of his stuff. And they had crazy names. Nice. Like dinner music for a pack of hungry cannibals. I, that one I've heard of. Yeah. And what, and what was I doing while it was playing? You were dancing. Like, like a cartoon. <laughs> like a wild band. You were. You were You were up and dancing. It was hard not to. Next time on Stories from the Stylist. Next time on Stories from the Stylist. Next time on Stories from the Stylist.